Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. This past Saturday, we had our third Zoom tour of the new website. We had about 40 people in the group, and it was a big hit, I think. Our memberships are climbing. We're approaching the 200 mark. And uh, do have a look at the new website, LogosBibleStudy.com. I've added a blog to it. I put the first post up yesterday. I just wrote another one today. And uh, that's open to everyone. So have a look at the new website and consider joining us as a subscriber to LogosBibleStudy.com. 22 university-level courses, 450 video lessons, and a ton of support material. We'd love to have you. You're my favorite folks out here on the podcast audience. So please have a look and get down right to it. Now, last week, we took a look at the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. We learned that Solomon wrote songs. And this is the hit song of all time. And we learned, to our surprise, I think, that the Song of Songs is a frankly erotic love poem. And that's how I presented it last week. But having done that, I began thinking about Solomon. You know, Solomon is often thought of as the greatest king in the Bible. But I don't know about that. As I consider Solomon, perhaps Solomon is the greatest failure in all the Bible. So having read the Song of Songs, what I positioned as an old king remembering his first love decades ago, a love beyond all other loves, and one that he let slip through his fingers. What a poem it was. But let's take the next several podcasts and really explore the person of Solomon, of who he was, of how he acted, of what he did, of how he felt. To do that, we need to go back and look at his father, David, at how Solomon came to be. I think Solomon's origins in the David story have a lot to do with how he turned out in the end. So if you turn with me, I'd like to begin with 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now we've covered 2 Samuel chapter 11 when we did a whole series on the King David story. But this is our starting point for Solomon. David was a magnificent warrior. He was a great king. But he was also a deeply flawed man. And when David finally had success, when David finally had consolidated power among the 12 tribes of Israel and was king over Israel, Saul was the first king, but Saul failed miserably. David, David built the united monarchy. And at the peak of his power, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, in the spring, At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David was sitting on his butt 
in Jerusalem. Now that's not the David we've met up to this point in the David story. David had everything now that he wanted. When David went to war, he was the tip of the spear. If David said, take the hill, he was the first one up the hill. But here he is now in the spring when kings go off to war. He sent off General Joab and the army. And they went to Rabbah, Amon, Jordan of today. And David sat in Jerusalem. Something's wrong with David here. Now one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace, strolled about on the roof, a flat roof, of course, overlooking the Kidron Valley in what today is the old city of David. He strolled around on the roof of the palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. He saw a woman bathing. Well, she's not, as artistic representations often have it, taking a bath on the roof of her house stark naked. No, as we'll learn in the story, she had just finished her monthly cycle. And according to Levitical law, she was immersing herself in a mikvah, a form of ritual cleansing. She was undergoing a religious ceremony, if you will. It was in the house. A mikvah is dug into the ground. So David saw a woman immersing herself in water, naked, inside her own house. David is a peeping Tom. She was very beautiful. And David had no idea who she was. He sent a man to find out. And the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Eliam and Uriah are among David's senior military officers. David sent a messenger to get her. And she came to him and he took her. Now, parenthetically, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, I told you. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Now all this happens in a very brief period of time in our narrative. Let me read it to you as we have it literally in the Hebrew manuscript. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the entire Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Ramah, and David sat in Jerusalem. And one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him and he took her and she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness and then she went back home and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying I'm pregnant. Just like that. Is David in love with Bathsheba? No. He's in lust with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba's husband is off at the wars in Ammon, Jordan of today at Rabbah. David sent men to get her. 
They knocked on the door. Now, what is the only thing she could think? She didn't know David. She knew he was king, of course. But she didn't know him personally. He had no idea who she was. And here at her door are two messengers from the palace. What's the only thing Bathsheba could think? Something's happened to my husband, Uriah. And she rushed off to the palace with him. And David took her. He didn't sleep with her. He didn't court her. He took her. He raped her. And then sent her back home. Not so much as a howdy-do or a breakfast. And sometime later she sent word and said, I'm pregnant. Now what's David going to do? David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite from the front lines, besieging the city of Rabbah. Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him, how's Joab doing? How are the men and how's the war going? Now, wait a minute. From Jerusalem to Jericho is a 17-mile walk downhill. That's a day's journey. And then to Rabbah, or Amman, Jordan, is another perhaps three-day journey. So we have three, four, five days in transit. Do you think Uriah asked the servant, why does David want to see me? Do you think the servant may have said anything? After all, the palace has ears. Rumors spread quickly. And then when he arrives, so how's the war going? How's General Joab? How are the men? How strange. Uriah said nothing. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. That's a euphemism for have sex with your wife. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. <laughs> David said, Champagne roses and a box of Godiva chocolates. Have a great night, Uriah. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go to his house, which is within view of the palace, close view of the palace, because David could see through the window of Bathsheba immersing herself in the water. He didn't go home. Do you think Uriah might suspect something's wrong here? Well, when David was told Uriah didn't go home, he said, haven't you just come from a, a long way? Why, why did you go home? And Uriah said to David, now I think on that journey from Rabbah to Jerusalem with the servant, Either the servant said something to Uriah or the servant was silent, avoided the topic. In any case, I think Uriah suspects something's going on, something's wrong here. Why don't you go home, said David. And if Uriah suspects or Uriah knows, then Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my master, General Joab, and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. 
How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? Subtext, as you did, as surely as you live, which may not be much longer, I would not do such a thing. Whoa, scathing. David broke the mood. Ooh. Oh, please, uh, come on. Hey, chill out, Uriah. Stay here one more day. Tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. So they have dinner again together, sitting at a long table. David on one end, Uriah on the other, servants bustling about. Uriah, not eating, but knocking back Jameson's the whole time. He got drunk. In the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home yet again. So in the morning, what's David going to do now? By sending Uriah home to have sex with his wife, that would explain the pregnancy. But Uriah didn't go home. So what will David do? In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he put, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him. He'll be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell, and moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So Joab doesn't put Uriah in the front and have his men withdraw. Could Joab tell Uriah's men to do that? No, they wouldn't obey him. So Joab sacrifices the men as well as Uriah and then sent a full account back to David. And David said, well done. Now, this is not the David we know. This is not the David we've met from the time he was a shepherd boy defeating Goliath, leading the rebels. This is something else entirely. David did a terrible thing. And he thought he got away with it. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now that's about the biggest understatement in the entire Bible. David brought Bathsheba into the harem. He already has seven wives, recall. Well, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David. And when he came to him, he said, David is holding court in the palace. One of the things kings did. Remember Deborah holding court as a judge under a tree? The king held court. He made judicial decisions. So Nathan came to him and he said, My Lord, I have a case to present to you that needs a decision. There were two men 
in a certain town, one rich, the other very poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he bought. He raised it, grew up with him and his children, had shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like, a, like one of his own children. Like my dog Dusty, the golden retriever. Oh, the best dog ever. I got him as a little puppy and he lived with us for 14 years. He slept in the bed. He ate the pepperoni off the pizza. Both my boys grew up with him, loved him. He loved them. That was the lamb that this man had. Now a traveler came to the rich man and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come. And instead he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So he took Dusty, the golden retriever, slaughtered him, and they were going to eat him. David burned with anger against the man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this should die. He must pay for that lamb four times over. He, did, he had no pity. And then Nathan the prophet, stepped forward, got right into David's face, and he said, poking him in the chest with his middle finger, you are the man. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You murdered him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David is blanching. The color is drained from his face. He's gasping for breath. And Nathan continues, This is what the Lord says, Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. I will do it in broad daylight before all Israel. Nathan, stunned, shaken. Uh, I, I sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, you're damn right you did. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made enemies of the Lord, the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. Nathan turned on his heels and walked out. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became very ill. The little infant baby, a son, a boy. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went to his house and spent nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground. He, he refused. He, he wouldn't eat or drink or be with them. For seven days, and on the seventh day, the child died. 
David's servants were afraid to tell him the child was dead. They, they thought, oh, while, while the child was still living, we, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen. How can we tell him the child's dead? He may do something desperate. He, he may kill himself. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He's, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. David got up from the ground. After he washed, put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And I'll bet anything, right at that time, right when David was before the Lord. If you read Psalm 51, you'll see what David was thinking. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? Well, while the child was alive, you fasted and wept. Now the child's dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, I, I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David is stricken heartbroken. But we never think about Bathsheba, the mother. She was raped by David. She gives birth to the child who then dies. All the while, David, in his melodramatic way, is weeping and fasting and praying. What was Bathsheba doing? David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and lay with her and she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. It means loved by the Lord. Little Jed, a nickname. Meanwhile, Job fought against Rabbah and the Ammonites and on goes the story. But put it in the context of King Solomon. Solomon was born to Bathsheba and David here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Little Solomon, son number 10 for David. You wonder how David felt about Bathsheba after he brought all this calamity upon her, being raped, her husband being murdered. She knew that David did it. Everyone in the palace knew it. 
the child she bears from the rape dies. And now David lay with her again and she gave birth to Solomon. Think of Solomon growing up in that home. Think of David and Bathsheba now together. How do you think Bathsheba felt about David? We need to ponder that because things that will happen later in Solomon's life When David is an old man, well advanced in years, he's about to die, he makes Solomon king. He jumps Solomon over all of the other brothers. Solomon's not in line for the throne. Well, he's in line, but way down the line, son number 10. Why do you think David chose Solomon? Do you think there may have been talk between Bathsheba and David? Do you think maybe David tried to make things right? Ponder that relationship between David and Bathsheba and little Solomon growing up in the palace with those parents. There are more layers to this story than we can count. And we'll begin exploring them on Wednesday when we focus on Solomon becoming king. So thank you for being with me today. I'm always happy to be back on Mondays with you and get things started again. But we're going to follow a great story here, the story of King Solomon. The greatest king in the Bible? Well, maybe. Or the biggest failure in the Bible? Maybe that too. All right. See you again on Wednesday and be sure to take a look at the new website. Um, Have a look around. We'll be doing another tour of the site in two or three weeks. And uh, meanwhile, poke around. It's very easy to work. And take a look at the blog on the homepage right up on the top right corner, Dr. Creasy's blog. And I've got a couple of things up there for you uh, that you might enjoy. Okay. Bye-bye now. See you on Wednesday. So long. Blessings to you.